scripture for this morning's sermon is taken from John chapter 3. I'd like to invite you to turn there in your Bibles with me now, if you will. John chapter 3, starting at verse 22. We'll be reading through the end of the chapter. John 3, starting at verse 22. John 3, starting at verse 22. Hear now the reading of God's holy and inspired, breathed out word. And after this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. Now John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim, because water was plentiful there, and people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been in prison. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he's baptizing, and all are going to him. And John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Thus ends the reading of God's word. May he bless it to us. Let's pray. Father, we ask you to give Pastor Mark what is needed to proclaim the truths from your word and to give us open hearts to receive that teaching. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So the other week, uh, Pastor Bob and I were driving up to Manistee to meet with the brothers there. And on the way, the two of us got to talking about this Sunday's service. Pastor Bob suggested that I take a a break from, from the Hebrews series that we've been going through over these past weeks and preach on something that I would like to define my ministry that the Lord has given to me. Now that I've been a real ordained pastor for about 19 and a half hours. So I thought about it for a few minutes, and then my mind went to our passage here this morning, which is kind of ironic in one sense, because this passage makes clear that it's not about me at all. So we have this interesting account of of John the Baptist and Jesus here with, with their disciples who happen to be baptizing in the same area at the same time. And we get to, to hear this amazing discussion that takes place that is very relevant to our own Christian lives today. And though uh, through, through this discussion, uh, we, we are going to see who Jesus is 
and what that should mean for us in our own Christian ministries. In this morning's passage, we are going to see that because Jesus Christ is the Son of God, we can trust in Him alone for our salvation and live meaningful lives pointing others to Him. To do this, we're going to be looking at three things. First, we're going to be looking at a discussion that arises. Second, we're going to be looking at an answer given. And third, we're going to be looking at a reality explained. Again, that's a discussion arises, an answer given, and reality explained. So with that, let's get started by taking a look at our first point this morning. A discussion arises. So as we come to our text, we see that, that Jesus and his disciples are, are still in the region of Judea in the south of Israel. They had come back to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover as can be seen in, in chapter 2, verse 23. Um, and, and it's while they're here that Jesus you know, has his discussion with Nicodemus. And, and now he and his disciples have gone out to the Judean countryside as we see here in verse 22. And this is where we find ourselves in the timeline here. We see that Jesus is baptizing people here with his disciples, but, but he's not the only one administering baptisms in this particular place at this particular time. John the Baptist and his disciples are, are also here at Anon near Salim offering baptisms because we read that water was plentiful there. And all this was, was taking place before John the Baptist's imprisonment and subsequent beheading. It is at this time now that, that we see this discussion between some of John the Baptist's disciples and, and a Jew arises over the issue of purification. Now we have to remember that John's baptism was, was one of purification. It was a baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in the one who was to come after him. That is Jesus Christ, as Paul tells us in Acts 19.4. There are these, these two baptisms taking place, and this Jew, someone who's concerned with the issue of purification himself, is asking about the difference between these two camps. And this is the setting in which all of this is taking place this morning. So with this, now that we read that the disciples of John the Baptist come to him and say, Rabbi, he who is with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, that is to say Jesus, look, he is baptizing and, and, and all these people are going to him. Now, if you remember, this isn't the first time that John the Baptist's disciples have heard or asked about Jesus in this gospel. For instance, in, in John chapter 1, verses 6 and 8, there, we read that there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. So, so this was John's mission. And these people knew it. In John 1.15, we read, John bore witness about, about Jesus. And he cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. Again, he's pointing people to Jesus Christ. Then in John chapter 1, verses 19-28, through 28, we see that when the priests and the Levites sent by the Pharisees came to see John to, to ask him who he was, he told them that he was not the Christ, that, that he was not Elijah, that he was not the prophet. But he said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah had said. 
And when they asked him why he was baptizing, if he was not the Christ, if he was not Elijah, if he was not the prophet, he told them, I baptize with water. But among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. Again, it says it right here that John is about pointing people to Jesus Christ. Again! In chapter 1, verses 29 through 34, we read, on on the very next day, we have John the Baptist's testimony concerning Jesus, who is coming before him. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. We see here that that John the Baptist is speaking of Jesus and he's discussing the differences between these two baptisms. And then yet again, in John chapter 1, verses 35 through 36, we read again that John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God, and then sends off two of his disciples to go with him, one of which was Andrew, the brother of Simon Peter. So all this to say is that John the Baptist has been very consistent in his ministry. He has shown his his disciples over and over again that Jesus is the one to be praised and worshipped. So it's interesting to see John's disciples approaching him in this manner. They've heard his words and, and they've seen his actions again and again and again. They even reference it in this quote. But their pride is dinged when this outsider asks about what is going on. The home team isn't winning, as it were. And these disciples are left wondering why. And the envy and competition increases with each warm body that's stepping into the line on the other side of the water. This would be like allied nations who are fighting on the same side of the battlefield during a war, bickering over who's doing better. One nation realizes that their ally is advancing further than them, so they complain to their general right in front of them, right in front of the enemy, rather. It just doesn't make sense, especially when the general has already told them that their job was to clear the way for that other nation to make that advance in the first place. It's petty, and it's ignorant. And we can relate, can't we, brothers and sisters? We often want to be a part of the in-crowd. We want to be revered, and we want to be liked. But we have to fight these desires. We, like the Apostle Paul in Philippians 4, verse 11, need to learn how to say, I have learned in whatever situation to be content. This is exactly where we see John the Baptist go in our text this morning. Which brings us to our second point. An answer given. So when these envious disciples approach him concerning the long lines on Jesus' side of the water, John the Baptist demonstrates the same consistency yet again. He answers, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. 
John the Baptist is saying that, that it is not his power or their power that is going to be doing any great thing, but that God is doing a great work in calling these people to his son, Jesus Christ. This is the culmination of the work that God has given John the Baptist and, and the disciples, his disciples in preparing the way of the Lord. So as Calvin says, What man of the ordinary rank would venture to desire more than what the Lord has given him? This single thought, if it were duly impressed on the minds of all of us, would be abundantly sufficient for restraining ambition. And were ambition corrected and destroyed, the plague of contentions would likewise be removed. How, come it, how, how comes it then that every man exalts himself more than is proper, but because we do not depend on the Lord so as to be satisfied with the rank with which he assigns to us? So these disciples of John the Baptist are, are trying to show John the Baptist honor by making Christ inferior. And John the Baptist tells them that, that, that this is God's doing, and that they're actually in the wrong. And in verse 28, he sets them straight when he says, You yourselves bear witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. In a sense, he's saying, what part of this whole thing aren't you getting? You know, I, I, I've told you that I am not the Christ. I've, I've told you that it's my job to be the one to announce the Christ. As we heard about earlier, I can't imagine that John the Baptist is, is particularly pleased with his disciples at this moment because they clearly haven't been listening to what he's been saying this whole time. These disciples had one job. They're to listen to their teacher and put his teachings into practice. They're not doing a very good job here. He continues in verse 29. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. John the Baptist is, is telling the, uh, the church that, that he's telling his disciples that the church is, is Christ's bride. And that it, it's right that he has her. He alone is, is to be over her. He alone is the Messiah. He, he says, I'm just here to celebrate this fact. He then says, therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. Now that Christ has arrived on the scene and the church is being drawn to him, John the Baptist's job is done. And he can just revel in the wedding celebration. And it's here that he utters this beautiful statement in verse 30. He must increase, but I must decrease. John the Baptist is telling his disciples, there's, there's no competition here. My whole reason for being was, was to announce this moment. And now that it's here, I'm just going to fade into the background and selflessly enjoy watching my friend and his bride's happiness. It's all about him. My job was, was, was to direct others' attention to him. And now I'm happy just to witness this moment taking place. John the Baptist points his disciples to Jesus Christ and tells them that Jesus is who their whole ministry has been about. They were the billboards. They were the highway navigational signage. They were the social media posts and the commercials for the, Lord's Jesus, for the Lord Jesus Christ. And now that he has arrived, their job is is done. Brothers and sisters, this, has, this is to be reflected, rather, in, in our own Christian ministries today. 
How often is the metric? How many people do you have coming to your morning and evening services? How large is your operating budget? How many letters are at the end of your name? How many people attend your youth group? John shows us here this morning that the metric ought to be, are you driving people to salvation in Jesus Christ? Is it about the gospel or is it about your ego? Are you working both to drive people to Christ as God's agents, enabled by the Holy Spirit, and to diminish your own importance in the process? We can't get things twisted here because we want to be good servants. We, we want to be used by the Lord in, in, in doing the work of his kingdom, but then we go and apply the world's rubric to it. We either consciously make this about us and our pride, for instance, like, look what I have done, or we inadvertently make it about the numbers rather than Jesus Christ. John the Baptist has a lesson for all of us here this morning. We are to exalt Christ and find our satisfaction in seeing him honored. Brothers and sisters, we are to be faithful. And why is John the Baptist so set on his position? This brings us to our third point this morning. A reality explained. A reality explained. So just to remind ourselves where we've been so far, we have this discussion that arises between the disciples of John the Baptist and a Jew over issues of purification, which leads to this perceived competition in the eyes of John's disciples because more and more people are going over to Jesus' group rather than their own. And, and, and these disciples of John are, are looking out for, for John's honor here. And more than likely, at least a little bit, to their own pride. So they approach their teacher about it, hoping to get some kind of direction on how to deal with this. And John's got nothing for them other than, hey, this is great news. You know, you know that's what I've been trying to do the whole time. John the Baptist's willingness to be reduced to nothing in order that Christ's reign would be acknowledged is because Jesus Christ is God. Look with me now, if you would, at verse 31. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. Jesus is so far above any of the rest because He alone comes from heaven. Jesus Christ is categorically different than any other leader this world has ever known, will ever known, knows now, because He alone has come down from heaven to do the Father's work. We have to remember where we are in in the Gospel of John at this point. This interaction is on the heels of Jesus' late night discussion with Nicodemus earlier in chapter 3. If you're not familiar with this story, a man named Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee and a ruler of the Jews, comes to Jesus under the cover of night to to, to see Jesus, to see who he is and, and what he's all about because he's been doing these great signs that no one can do it unless God was with him. Now, During this conversation that follows, Jesus tells Nicodemus that he must be born again if he is to enter the kingdom of God. Now, the reason that I'm bringing this up is because the Greek is a little ambiguous here as far as to be born again, because the Greek to be born again can also be translated to be born from above. That is to say, to be born from heaven. 
Your Bibles will likely have a footnote to this effect if you want to turn to chapter 3, verse 3. But we see in our passage this morning that Jesus is the one from above who is delivering this testimony that is also from above. This good news, the gospel that is from above. Any other leader on this earth can only speak of what he knows in an earthly manner. That is to say, an imperfect, a fallible, in a finite manner. This is why we're called to elevate Christ rather than ourselves and our callings, especially in the pastorate, because Christ bears witness to what he has seen and heard. John the Baptist, his disciples, and you and I here today are to receive his testimony because it is of God, it is from heaven, and it's true. This is why John is willing to lay down his God-given office because he is Christ's servant just as you and I are Christ's servants here today. Jesus has come as our great apostle, as God's great sent out one as we see here in our passage. But, But we read here that his message is being rejected. Now, this isn't to say that no one believes in the gospel of our Lord and Savior, but, but that few believe when compared to the rest of the world. So as we read in Matthew 7, narrow is the gate that leads to life, and those who find it are few. But, but, but brothers and sisters, we are called to believe in Jesus Christ, his word and his sacrifice, that salvation is only found in him. John the Baptist continues, for he whom God has sent, utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. So not only is Jesus the one sent by God to deliver his message of salvation, but he is also the one to whom the Father has given the Spirit without measure. As we see in the following verse, the Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. It is from Christ's fullness that we receive grace upon grace, as John the Baptist stated all the way back in chapter 1, verse 16. Jesus Christ has been sent by the Father to administer gifts to everyone whom he chooses and finds necessary to do so. And lastly, we we read why John the Baptist is willing to lay down his office in verse 36. He says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. It's only through faith in Jesus Christ that any of us are saved. Therefore, we are to obey him. The word as he is called in chapter 1 of John's gospel. Lest we remain under God's wrath and curse. So as we hear Jesus say later in John's gospel, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And this is all by grace. Our our ability to put our faith in him, our ability to act in accordance with, with this word is all given by grace. It's all by God. Because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And it is only through faith in this Jesus, a faith marked by an obedience to his word out of gratitude, that we're saved. John the Baptist knew, knew this. He consistently taught this. And these disciples, clawing for the honor of their teacher and their team, Now know it too. We are to go to Christ because our salvation can only be found in Him. We're not to to put our faith in anybody or anything that this world has to offer. 
This is the truth of the gospel. And this is what is at the heart of John the Baptist's message. So what does this have to do with us today, little farms? While we may not all be leaders within the church, we lead our families, we engage our co-workers, and we do life alongside our friend groups. The question stands, where are we leading them in our thoughts words, and actions? Are we seeking Christ's glory or our own? Whose mission are we on? That of Christ and his kingdom or that of ourselves for what we can get and for our own glory? He must increase and we must decrease. When one of my buddies in seminary was asked uh, what he wanted his ministry to be marked out by after seminary, this was a a pre-graduation event, he said, I want to be faithful and die in obscurity. And I thought to myself, that is a really good answer. Well, it's really funny because this particular friend of mine wasn't the one that you'd go to normally regarding wisdom. <laughs> but, 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 but this was one of the things, this was one of the wise things that he said to us for sure. Um, but, but the fact of the matter is, he must increase and I must decrease. Now, maybe you're sitting here just hearing about this Jesus for the first time. And if that's you, I I, want to say thank you for being here. We're so glad that you're here, so glad that you're listening on the live stream. But let me encourage you to turn to this Jesus because only he has come from above to bear testimony to what he has seen and heard from above. Only he has been given the spirit without measure and only he can save sinners like us from the wrath of God. A wrath that all of us have, have earned because all of us have sinned. We, we, we've all gone against God and his commandments. So if you have any questions or concerns, please come to either myself or see any of the brothers or sisters here. We'd love to help you in any way that we can. But we have this wonderful opportunity privilege and commission to reach others with this message from heaven, with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We get to tell people of the perfect life that Christ lived according to the law. We get to tell people about his death on the cross on our behalf, that that by his blood those who believe in him have the right to be called the children of God. That, That they conquered the grave and rose from the dead on the third day, that he has ascended up into heaven that he is coming again to judge the living and the dead, and finally that he has prepared a place for you and me in heaven, a place where we can live in paradise with our Lord and Savior forever together with no more sin, with no more suffering, with no more sickness. Brothers and sisters, what a glorious day that will be. Let us go out from this place on the right mission, And and, and may we do so for God's glory alone. Let us lift high the cross. He must increase. And we must decrease. This is the goal of our Christian ministry. May God grant it. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you for giving us your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And we praise you for the great salvation that you have provided for us in him by your grace alone. We praise you for this gospel testimony that has been sent from above by your great apostle. Please forgive us for for losing track of what really matters in this life. 
Forgive us for making things about ourselves rather than making things about you and your glory. And please forgive us for placing our trust in the things of this world. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the person and work of your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for the testimony that he has given us. Thank you for giving all things into his hand that we can trust in him alone for our salvation. Please be with us now. Help us to die to self and take up our crosses daily in service to our Lord. Help us to decrease that, we, that, that he would increase. Help us to, to rejoice in Jesus. We ask this all in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen.